And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Well, Drancher, they finally did it. The Vancouver Canucks have won two in a row for the first time in well over a month. The run has begun. Boy, I'm trying to figure this team out. And just watching these last couple of games, buddy, I I don't know what I've seen. I saw a team previously that had no idea how to start games. We've seen the last two games where they've been outstanding out of the gate in the first period. And then I don't know what I saw after that. But here we are again, and they found a way to get two points again. They won in spite of themselves, right? No kidding. Like... That first period was their most dynamic offensive period of the year. They looked like they were dunking repeatedly on the Harlem General, uh, on the Har- uh, sorry, on the Washington, the Washington Generals, Generals as the Harlem Globetrotters. The amount of time that they felt like they had in the offensive end was incredible, incredible. Um, the quality of the Brock Besser goal, the patience, everything about it, just gorgeous stuff. And then. Like, to say they came unglued is almost putting it too kindly, right? Like, they had seven shots or eight shots through 39 minutes after the end of the first period. And, like, that second goal, Bruce Boudreaux's quote after the game was, it was their lack of composure that really got to me. And I felt kind of similarly, especially about the second goal, where it was like, a really nice down low cycle shift from more uh, from Morvat. I almost said from Miller, Horvat, and Besser, and it results in a really silly Tyler Myers point shot, like just a low percentage. You know the type of shot that if a, a player in basketball took it, you'd be like, "They'll live with that. They'll live with that." You know, like it was one of those, and obviously partial block. The forwards just go to change, not even realizing that Myers's shot was blocked. In the, in the high slot and that the puck's coming the other way. Myers and OEL go back and Myers ends up hitting it into his own net and I'll actually be kind about it and say that that wasn't a terrible defensive play. It was just a bad luck, but it's like... Was the, now, this, we're talking about the first goal, not the, first not the goal. second Sorry, goal. what did I say? Yeah. I said the second? The first yeah. one. The second one was just Timo Meyer being Timo Meyer and then people were like, Demko would have wished he had that and it's like, that was an elite shot, an all-world shot, in my opinion, anyway. But that but first he still goal... But he still would have wished he had it. Sure, but Demko wishes he's he'd had to have every goal. Like, that's what goalies do. Like, I, I, I didn't see it as a soft goal, put it that way. Um, but the first goal was just a comedy of errors and, and more than a comedy of errors, it felt like the Canucks having come out so well, thought that it was going to be easy. And it, and it felt like once it became a game where they had to work, 
they faded. And I hate seeing that. I hate seeing that from a hockey team. Well, and again, the you talk about the change, right? Like just the lack of effort. And maybe it was just lack of awareness as far as the shot block is concerned. But I mean, that all three of those guys just coasted to get off the ice, yeah. you know, at various at various times in that and, and kind of left them hung out to dry and created the odd man chance the other way. And even even the play that led to the, the penalty that led to the second goal, which we're talking about and debating whether it was great shot or, or kind of, you know, Demko mm-hmm. being on Demko for a minute or a combination of both. Um, and then even at the end of the game, right, when when you're up and you've got a chance to close this thing out and now the goal you give up, you know, like the puck is on San Jose's blue line with less than seven seconds okay, to yeah, go. Let's 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 dive into that one at length. But first, we got a hat tip. The uh, the the thing that fans were really mad about post game was Bo Horvat on the P- PK um, leading up to the third goal. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't see Bo Horvat as an elite penalty killer. So I um I didn't really have a huge problem with it, to be totally honest with you. Like, I didn't think that was a particularly miserable moment for the captain. Um, you know, I, I don't think it was I thought, a lack I thought of the line change. I thought the line change in the first goal was worse. It was worse. It was significantly worse, in fact. And, you know, I, I think there's no question. Um, yeah, but tough moments, penalty killing, that those happen, especially when you're not an all-world penalty killer. I don't see Bo Horvat as an all-world penalty killer. He shouldn't really be killing penalties, in my view. Uh, yeah, but JT his, Miller was in the box for, for that goal as well, right? right? So once he goes in, then you then you use Horvat a bit more than you want to use him in that role. Totally. Well, and then and so let's get to that last goal, right? Tyler Myers, everyone noticed that he got caught and allowed the relatively easy entry, which was an absolute gift to a San Jose Sharks side that, you know, and I worked with Bob Bugner closely, but he, and and usually I've found him to be pretty aggressive in endgame situations, but they were far too conservative with their goalie pull. And so Myers sort of, I don't know, I, he almost goes for like a mid-ice squeeze. Like, I'm not sure what he, I, th- I guess he thought he could get the puck. But it was far too aggressive a read in that situation. Just like a, a, a gift to the Sharks that allowed them to blow the zone and get set up. Myers is going to take a lot of heat for that jump, right? For that read, for that play. But what's the important... I just, I just found he kind of got caught in no man's land in the midst of the read. Do you know what I mean? He did. Yeah, he did. It, was, it wasn't a good read, especially in that situation. But... The most important thing to remember is that he gets caught in the middle of the ice from what side, Farhan? From the right side. No. From Hamannick's side. No, from the left side. He's, Sorry, okay. He was yeah, playing yeah. on the left side. He's playing on his off Sorry, side. Yeah, understood. Yeah, I misunderstood the question yeah, to begin no, no, with. I, yeah. I may have framed it poorly, but like, why is Myers Hamannick closing the game in the last minute? Like, why? Yeah, why is Hamannick closing the game why? in the last minute, he, period? He, he's probably been your worst defenseman the last, like, since his return. And, and you know, I'm willing to cut him some benefit of the doubt and say, hey, like, he's still getting up to speed. But, like, my goodness. And then, and so Myers is out of position, playing the wrong side. They come back. They get caught in their own end. Uh, the Sharks sort of lose the puck in the right, at the right side point. Hamannick gets it. And gets completely and instantly pickpocketed along the wall, right? Which is what we saw repeatedly in that Leafs game. Um, Canucks still get the clear. Sharks are at, in the neutral zone with seconds to go. And then it's a great play by Timo Meyer and a really smart shot by Barabanov. And I'm not blaming anyone for that. That's, that's hockey luck. But the Canucks did not load the dice there. 
that did not give themselves the best chance to win. And the errors compounded in quick succession with Myers on his offside and Hamannick on the right side closing the game. Like, I have no idea why you wouldn't go any other combination of defensemen. Honestly, I can't think of a worse combination of defensemen than what the Canucks trotted out in that situation among the six that they had in the lineup. Like, you'd be better off with Hugh Shen. You'd be better off with Oliver Ekman, Larson, Myers. You'd be better off with Oliver Ekman, Larson, Shen. You'd be better off with Oliver Ekman, Larson, uh, Hamannick. Like, there's literally no combination you could have t- told me that they used that I w- you could have gone Hughes Burroughs that I would have said that makes less sense than going Myers, Hamannick. So we're talking about, in my opinion, once they got that clear, they stopped playing. And it seems like you, you might not be wrong if the assessment is in that final 20 seconds, they may have even stopped coaching, thinking that it was done now, right? And because when you looked at it, as soon as that puck got cleared, they stopped playing. It was everybody's waiting for somebody else to make a play. And if not, ah, Thatcher will bail us out. And he didn't, right? But just for once, yeah. Yeah, like it just in that moment that, you you know, it felt a lot like the Leaf game in that you started well, you had the lead, you blew the lead, you got a goal, right? And here you are again in this moment, and they, and they did a worse job closing it out against a worse team because they tie it up, you get the 4-3 lead, you know, probably against the run of play a little bit, you're in great position to close it out, and you can't. So fortunately, they were able to get the four on three for an extended period in overtime with the delayed penalty before you even got the actual four and three power play. Um, you know, and then four and three is a tough, tough thing to, to get through defensively. But um, yeah, just like I said, just so many more alarm bells than what you should be feeling after a win. And, and again, it felt worse than the Toronto win because you know Toronto's a significantly better team. Yeah, the sharks right? like are, you almost the sharks are brutal. Absolutely. Like, how do you how do you rationalize that to the point where Bruce Boudreau after the Toronto game was basically defiant and and refused to apologize for winning? And here he had some concern about a lack of composure. Well, I mean, he should. He should have concern. This whole organization should have concern about where this club's at at the moment, in my opinion. Well, anyway. let, let, let's let's stay micro for a little bit before we get macro. Yeah. Uh, and okay. and we'll get in. Let's let's get into the return of. Uh, both Matthew Highmore and uh, um, Quinn Hughes. Yeah, I mean, Quinn Hughes makes this team so much more enjoyable to watch. It's not even funny, right? Like the knuckleball goal, but that whole play, the way he's getting up in the rush. I thought I thought he was among the Canucks that faded a bit as the game went on. I don't think that's a shock considering the experience he's been through the last, you know, 17 days. But sure. Um, I thought he faded a bit like everyone else, but in that first period, he was the best player on the ice, as Quinn Hughes so often is. Um, Ben's gravity. And, you know, look, Quinn Hughes is always fun to watch, always worth the price of admission. I'll look forward to seeing him play live on Saturday. I thought he was great. I thought he was great in that first period, and then I thought he was, like many of the the rest of the Canucks, faded late. Um, That Lamico line drew a lot of minutes against the Timo Meyer. Tomas Hurdle, uh, Barabanov line, and they did most of their damage either if six on five or five on four, right? I mean, you wouldn't say that the Lamico line got victimized at length by San Jose's sort of heavy skill at the top of their lineup. So, you know, I, I like, I always like Highmore's game. Highmore's really won me over this season. He's one of the players that I'm really getting high on in terms of thinking that he can be, you know, a, a, a part of 
a more meaningful solution and maybe have more ceiling even than than I'd ever imagined uh, based on what he's done this year. And and I thought he was good. I mean, he was fine. Like, I, I don't know that he did anything I'd write home about, but he won battles. Um, I thought that line was hard to break out against for the Sharks defense. I thought they did everything you could have wanted from that line as, as they so often do. 61%. Uh, Corsi, uh, he actually led the team. And in fact, when you look at the matchups, it almost felt like um, the Pedersen line, when they got put out against that Timo Meyer line, struggled at times a little bit. And, you know, and it shows because uh, Pedersen was uh, was among the Canucks' lowest forwards along with, well, Nils Hoaglander was for sure. But, you know, when you look at that line and the way they were kind of deployed, I think at times they may have struggled a little more than some of the others. Yeah, although Pedersen was excellent, right? I mean, Directly responsible in, in a lot of ways for the Garland goal, right? Um, yeah. You know, w- would have scored uh, the insurance marker if his stick hadn't broken, I think. Uh, and then obviously was fantastic in overtime. Um, you know, I think Pedersen had a good game regardless of what the numbers say. I think he looked dangerous through large sections of it. Um, you know, I don't know that Hoaglander, Pedersen, Pod Colson is a long term home for Pedersen, right? I don't know. Well, that, but you also see him get out with Garland from time to time as well. well right? But I and, mean, that just seemed to me to be Boudreau loading, um, loading the guys he trusts with the game on the line. Right. Like that's he just took on the Garland goal. He's just in Dickinson's spot. Yep. Right. So it's like anyway, um, you know, I, figuring out something that better takes advantage of Pedersen's skills seems to make sense to me. Um, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't go back to Lotto eventually, but I'm sure we'll see it at some point. Um, but you know, the I thought he was good. Like I thought Pedersen was good. I thought the Canucks were not good, though. Like they really were not good. <laughs> and and tell me how you feel. Thomas. No, I, you know, I just, I mean, that game, that game was just so slow. I know it was exciting because when do you see a buzzer beater in hockey, right? I mean, you'll remember the end of that game. And then the Canucks are really good three on three. Like they are really good three on three. I think they're legitimately lethal three on three, especially with, you know, Hughes and, and Pedersen. And I love except the, when he puts except when he puts Lamico and Mott out there, which we saw earlier this year. I know. And I but I loved the Garland play after the, uh, Noah Gregor fell and he slows down and he he waits for his teammates and then you know he goes to the net and he gets low the way Garland does, just choking up on his stick, doesn't care that he looks foolish doing it, like just wants to win, draws the penalty. Um I loved that Garland sequence a ton. And then he's the guy screening the goalie for the JT Miller. Who else? O- OT winner. Um, you know, I, I, I like Kyle Burroughs again. I liked Luke Shen again, right? Like, there's a lot of players I thought played really well. I didn't like Tyler Myers' game. Um, you know, that's going to be a problem. I, th- I think they're shoehorning him into some situations that really don't make sense. And he's played well over his level. And if you're going to look for something that's going to submarine this club's chances, like, I- I'd watch for Myers' form to return to what we'd expect. I, th- I think that, you know, we saw that tonight. Uh, where it's just a little bit more chaotic, a little bit less um, helpful, a little bit less 1A <laughs> defenseman. Um, you know, it wasn't just the left side in the five on six situation. It was also the, you know, uh, playing the flank on the power play. Like, what? What What are we doing? But <laughs> but the, you know, my, my just my overall takeaway is, you know, this team won. 
And that's good. They needed it. They, they needed to win. But if your team playoff chase, if your team, this team can pull off a miracle, there are 700 teams since Boudreaux, right? Took over. Boudreaux's fixed it. Everything's fixed. If you're, if you're no, on that we, team. Everybody understands that that first nine games and what we've seen since has been different. I, I mean, you'd hope so, but I think people are very much bought into this idea that this team is fixed since Boudreaux took over. And you really think so? Eh? You, you don't think people uh, have seen the breakdown? I with hear the a lot of fans. Breaks. I hear it from a lot of fans. So I think a lot of fans know the score, and I think a lot of fans are still hopeful that there's something more here, right? And as I sort of look through it, you know, like what part of the Canucks' game is fixed in your view or in anyone's view? Like the penalty kill still bad, right? Yeah. Power play isn't good enough, right? Yeah, I mean, the again, they had opportunities the today. The power play's yep. gotten significantly worse. Like, the power play is going to be a problem the rest of the year unless something changes significantly. It was actually better in its in the first 25 games than it has been under Boudreaux. Uh, substantially. Substantially. Uh, the power play is going to be a problem the rest of the way. The penalty kill is better. The penalty kill is better. It's not historically bad, but it's going to be a problem the rest of the way. The five-on-five game is m- m- better, but not world's better right like Boudreaux's having the same issues with this roster that green did they still have to play possum against elite teams they still can't sustain 60 minutes of quality hockey um they still don't seem to like games where they have to work you know and and to me that's what i'm gonna wait really heavily when i talk about what this team should do ahead of the deadline like what's fixed what what's fixed exactly we, do we just feel better about it? Or are we just looking at the results? Because when we look yeah, at we're, more we're, than that... We're, we're looking at the results. We're looking at the aesthetics of it because they seem to be in a few more games. But let's, let's dive into that. We'll take a quick break when we come back and get into a few more big picture topics. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So if it's not fixed... Why do we like it better? Is it is it simply because Bruce brings a different energy? Are we captivated by that first nine game stretch? Uh, do we give them a mulligan because of the number of games they've played without key guys due to COVID? Why do we feel better about this? Is it because Pedersen has come to life a little bit more and we gauge so much about our overall feeling around this team based on number 40? You know, or is it a combination of all of it? Because like you said, penalty killing is still bad. The power play is still bad. Demko is still good. The defense is still bad. <laughs> well, the defense has been really good. They haven't allowed a lot of goals. 
if that's how you're measuring defense. It's just that we all know that a lot of that's. No, I'm Demko. talking about the construction of the defense. Although all that said, like there are some players that I feel really good about on the back end. Like I, I love what I'm seeing from Luke Shen. Yeah, Quinn Cal- Hughes is Quinn Hughes. We knew we were going to get that. Kyle Burrows. I think I think Kyle Burrows. Yeah. Like my goodness, right? Like they awesome. they found something with that kid. They definitely did. So by, by so, the way, you know, by the way, by the way, just like. Uh, my understanding is that that's very much a John Weissbrod guy. So I just want to just want to <laughs> shout that out. Um, Doesn't matter, huh? It's just it's it's who he came who he came of age under. They're all going to take credit for it. No, no, um, I know, I know. It's just I funny. Know. It's just funny to to point that out. Like no one likes to hear when when he did something when he identified a, a quality um, player. I mean, I you know I also think he was a big Tucker Pullman guy, but. Um, I think Kyle Burroughs was a was a John Weisbrod led um, find. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I you, you know, know I like just, when you when you go up and down this lineup, right? I mean, you know, we haven't seen a ton from Nils Hoglander. We, you know, um, Bod Colson's kind of where we hoped he would be at this point, right? Is he? Uh, you know, well, like I mean, compared to where he was in the first you know twenty games when he just wasn't getting ice time and the, you know, there wasn't necessarily a ton of confidence there and. You know, like I think he's, you know, you had talked about what we wanted to see from him by the end of the season. Right. But I don't think right? he's like, come on. No, no. But I like he's he's improved from what we saw in the first 15 to 20 games. But well, he's not. I would say he improved. I, I would say he had like six really rocky games and then he hit a, hit a better level and then he sort of fell off, sagged a bit. And I still think he's kind of sagged a bit. Like, I don't think he's playing really well of late, to be honest with you. That line had a really good game against what was the game that they played really well in? Uh, the game that the Canucks lost. Um, uh, maybe it was Edmonton, something like that. I, I can't no, remember. No, it was more recently than that. I'd have to pull up the schedule. Yeah. But, um, you know, like we've you, you've got a good fourth line now. Uh, you know, Jason Dickinson is not nearly the player they were expecting coming into this season, right? No. So, you know, there's been, there's been highs and lows throughout the lineup. But what is that? What does that played, tell He played like, seven and a half minutes tonight, Farhan. No, I know. Like, played seven and a half minutes. Um, he was the low man. Uh, even Jason Dickinson played more than him. Um, there was that one opportunity. Yeah. I mean, and I, look, I thought he played fine. I mean, he was the least of their problems tonight. Um, in, in my view, anyway. But the, you know, the fact is, is that I, I just, I keep coming back to this question of, like, what has Boudreaux fixed? Materially, what has Boudreaux fixed? I think the vibes are better. I think the vibes are better, but honestly, I still watch this team practice and I still think they're funky. Um, <laughs> I still watch this team perform and don't think they're... Like, I, there's there's just doubts I have about whether or not this group is worth doubling down on based on what we've seen the last two years. You know? Um, I still worry that you know, the, the, the Boudreaux quote, the composure is what got to me. And that's what I was calling out on Twitter. And I'm just like, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Um, you know, I, Boudreaux's a personable guy. I think he's done a really good job. But it's not like we're seeing a ton of different things from this team. We're seeing a slightly better penalty kill. We're seeing slightly better five-on-five play. And, you know, I think this is the ceiling of it. And the ceiling of it's still far from good enough. So... I think that suggests strongly that, you know, credit where it's due, right? Blah, blah, blah. But like how much credit, how much credit are we giving to a team 
this far out, right? That <laughs> that just had a gas job against the San Jose Sharks, right? That like is, can steal wins here and there in the regular season, but doesn't even play like a consistent game. You know, like what are we ta- what are we talking about? I just, I just, I don't see what the argument is for not ha- rethinking this group significantly. I just, I don't see it. I honestly, like, I'd love for it to be made to me in a cogent way beyond like, it's what you owe the room. It's like, you don't owe this room anything. What do you owe this room? What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, I, I don't listen. I've said this before, and I, I don't think they necessarily owe the room, the collective anything, right? I mean, no. right now they're, they're trying to be patient because I don't the think there's <laughs> there, there's no reason for them to panic in the next four weeks, but they do need to make some decisions before the trade deadline and execute on those decisions. They, I don't think they need to make those decisions today. If all of a sudden they're still holding their breath and hoping for a run over the course of the next four weeks to talk them out of doing what they know they should be doing, um, you know, that'd be disappointing. All that said, there's there's also a way to do things. And, and you've even agreed with the thought that, look, you can't the biggest challenge in all of it is is it a retool is it a rebuild do you strip it down to the studs you've still got some foundational pieces that are quality players and you don't want to look them in the eye and tell them there's going to be a lot more pain here right i mean you've got Pedersen yeah, on no, a 3 year deal you don't have him on a 6 year deal no one is like you do with a rebuild. Hughes. no one is suggesting I, I get a rebuild it, but but there's a way to do this there's a way to finesse this so that they still believe as opposed to gutting out uh, you know, uh, Garland and Mott and Hor- or not Horvat, but Besser and Miller all in one foul swoop. Like we know all of those moves aren't going to happen, mm-hmm. but there's got to be a way to finesse this somehow so that you continue to get the buy in from the guys in the room as opposed to one of those guys gets moved and they're like, OK, what are we doing here? Like we're done. Right. And and that's the challenge of it all. It's not making the playoffs. It's not the fans. It's not the room as a collective. But there is a core of four uh, that some people believe might be a little more than that, you know, but right now there's kind of four guys that are established that are in that mix and you have to do it the right way so that they buy in. And there's been a lot of pain, Drancer. There has been a lot of pain. I get it. It's just you, you, you don't get anything as a result of that pain. That pain doesn't entitle you to like having a good prospect system or having cap space or having flexibility like you know it, you're not more likely to win the next draw because you've lost so many draws you know like you're not going to have heads come up because you've had tails come up four times like that's not how this works you have to do the right things you have to be disciplined about it you have to have a plan you have to probably steal from the NHL roster to bolster what you've got foundationally in terms of draft picks and 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 um, cap space and you know uh, prospects, like you have to do it the right way. Like you know, I've spent so much time on the radio talking about Rangers prospects, for example, right? And it's like it's only four years ago that the Rangers pulled pulled a, pulled the shoot on a team that was way closer to a playoff spot than the Canucks were. And yeah, I know they won two lotteries, but it's not like their success now is being driven by those players, right? Like Lafreniere and Kako are supporting pieces on that Rangers team, if that in Lafreniere's case, right? And, you know, we're, we're talking like this Vancouver market is salivating over, you know, four New York Rangers defenseman prospects, 
all of whom are like 22 and under drafted in the last four years since the Rangers sent the infamous letter. Right. And it's like, you do the right thing. You trade guys when the value's high and you reap the benefits. Like they're set up for five years, even though they had a really goofy summer because of what they did in dismantling a team that had valuable pieces on it. Like what, what, why, why are we talking about all these good players all these good prospects, like, oh, they'd never trade that guy. He's too good. He was drafted in 2018, 19, 2020. Like, don't you want to be that team? Isn't that the team you want to be? I just, I just, I honestly am at a loss. Like, I'm at a loss as to, to understand the argument for not, you know, conducting serious surgery with some degree of urgency here. Like, I, I I just don't see any path forward that's not that. So take me through the latest. We saw Frank Cervalli's reporting earlier today about how um, there just hasn't been the the dialogue or the traction around Brock Besser that people want to, uh, sorry, that around JT Miller that people want to believe in as a result, they may be moving off and there might be a little more dialogue around, around Besser. Um, what do you see happening there from the people you've talked to in the last, since our last show? Well, I mean, I think the, I think it's, I think a lot of noise is coming from without this market. You know, I think the JT Miller thing is an interesting one because a lot of the potential landing spots for him that that people thought might be options, whether it's Calgary, whether it's Minnesota, have sort of gone quiet. I think the Rangers still guide that process where, where nine is concerned. Uh, you know, I think six is an interesting one, but six is an interesting one in part because I guarantee you any teams looking to acquire him are looking to acquire him because they think they can do it affordably because of his contract situation and his down counting stats. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I just don't see how the Canucks win that deal. And then Garland's an interesting guy because... You know, he's still not playing a lot. He didn't even play 10 minutes five on five on Thursday night in, in San Jose. Uh, you know, he's he's a bottom six player right now for this team. I think he can be better than that. But does he suit what Rutherford wants? Does he suit the, t- the type of team Rutherford wants to build? Um, you know, for me, he should. I, I think he's excellent. But, you know, he doesn't seem to be getting the types of opportunities that his actual production and value this season would would appear to warrant, in my view. Well, and I mean, so, ultimately, right now, this team is still a center short, right? And as yeah. long as they, as long as they want to keep Miller on the wing, and as long as they like Pedersen between the two kids, then Connor well, Garland is going to be the odd man out here. We right? might see and, that change. Like, Pod yeah, Colson hopefully, Pod Colson and Hoaglander didn't play a lot tonight, right? Like, Pedersen was their leading forward in ice time uh, at five on five, and. Vasily Podkolzin was 12th and, and Niels Hoaglander was 10th. So, you know, you can't have your number one center by ice time and not that that's going to be every night. Certainly hasn't been of late, but you can't have that guy with two guys playing fourth line minutes on a regular basis, right? Like, yeah, you're no need to solve that issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now, as long as they keep the top line looking the way it currently looks, I think Pedersen and Garland should should be a pair. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree, but it was tried earlier in the year, and I don't know that there was a ton of chemistry that, that was ultimately found there. Um, no, but the coach does trust both of them, and he doesn't trust he doesn't trust Pod Colson or Hoaglander yet. Right. I, I think that's 
I think that's true for sure. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, certainly, Hoaglander, um, you know, I think has taken a step back, frankly, uh, over the last 25 games. Let's let's talk. Let's stay on the trade topic for a little bit here. And we were talking about Besser. We were talking about uh, about JT Miller. We were talking about Connor Garland. What moves would be the? You know, we've gone back and forth on Besser Miller a lot, right? And I know that you, as good as JT Miller has been, I think from an age perspective and the premium you put on scoring, um, are those the main reasons why you think Besser is the person they need to bet on? versus what you just said right now, that given his counting stats and given his contract situation, they simply can't win that deal and they might be able to win it. They might be able to win a Miller deal in terms of what they're trying to get accomplished. Yeah, that's and exactly what, what the return is going to be. Because like I look at it just from a, you know, yeah, they're four years apart in age. And I think that's the biggest thing for me because when I when I compare the two players, I just don't see a comparison. Right. I, like I see Brock Besser as a streaky scorer who is slowly developing an injury history at the age of 24 and and a big contract problem. But, you know, all those things are probably going to lead them to be able to extract less value in a Brock Besser deal, even though he's 24 versus JT Miller, who can absolutely help a team today in a playoff run. Yeah. I mean, I see it as like portfolio management. Trade the guy whose asset value is high. And whose contract doesn't expire until he turns 30, not the guy who's 24 and having a down year and and an RFA, even if he's an RFA with considerable leverage, right? Like for me, it's a really simple equation. And, you know, I, I sort of laid but, out. But my, is it like how, how much of this is. equation, how much of this equation is simple based on contract discussions between now and the trade deadline? Because I think that's paramount to this. Like you need to have those discussions and they haven't had them yet but, on, with Besser's camp. The problem you is you need to know what that's going to look like. The, the problem is you're never going to. You're never going to. And and by the way, no yeah, other team, just, no other team is going just, to either, even if you give them permission to chat with Ben Hankinson in, in advance, like who is, of course, Besser's agent. He's uh, Octagon Hockey. So, you know, here's the thing about the Besser situation from from Besser's point of view. Right. And your job is to maximize your income, right? I mean, that's that's what an agent does and that's what a player should do considering how short these careers are and how vicious the NHL system is being a hard cap system, right? So if you're Besser, you know, let's let's have a lengthy conversation about a sweetheart deal now. Like, um, no, qualify me or I'm a UFA. Like, this is simple. Okay, sure. Let's do seven years times eight million. No? Okay qualify me or I'm a UFA like what's what's the incentive for a player in in Besser situation to sit down and discuss a contract like to do 5.5 million now there's no incentive there's no value there there's no reason why you'd even consider that path no you're you're not you're not wrong and and like I said it boy like we saw this coming when that deal got signed, right? <laughs> yeah. I we mean, saw a desperate GM trying to find a way to massage it now, knowing it was going to bite him in the ass later and it wasn't going to be his problem. I mean, you know, and, and I think I don't know that I saw this coming because I didn't think that Besser would have the... Yeah, you thought his production would be higher. I thought his, I didn't see this season happening for Besser, right? 
I, I thought Besser was going to be a consistent 60 point guy. And look, I mean, his down season this year is still on pace for what, right? Like he's still going to be a 20, 25 goal, 50 point player. And that's probably the nadir of his value. It's just that because of his contract situation, because he was injured for a portion of the year and then had that Kafka esque COVID situation, um, you know, his, his counting stats are down this year. Uh, you know, he plays for a team that uses Tyler M- Myers on the flank and not him <laughs> on the power play, which makes no sense to me. Uh, yeah. So his counting stats are down and his values at the absolute lowest that it will ever be. Don't trade 24 year old players who are really smart and really good at the lowest ebb of their value. Like, don't do it. That that makes no sense. That's not how you get better for me. For me, it's really straightforward. I believe in Brock Besser as a player, I think more than you do too, but you know, and and like, I like JT Miller as a player too, but you know, a a large part of that conversation too seems to stem from he's a leader in the room and his intangible factor. And what does it mean to this team if he's traded? And it's just like, you know, I, I know it means a lot and I'm not criticizing JT Miller's, you know, leadership or the intangible factors at all. So much as I'm pointing out that like, this team, for the first time in months, moved out of seventh by point percentage in the Pacific Division tonight. And last year finished seventh in the All-Canadian Division. Like, what chemistry are you being protective of? Like, it's one thing to be protective of a team's chemistry coming off of a bubble run or something like that in 1920, uh, the way the Canucks were, right? Um, or if you're a really good team. But this team hasn't done anything. Like, what? why are you being protective of that? Like... You know, I think JT Miller's a great player, a great player, and I like great players. I've liked working with him as a as a media member. He's always been good to me. He's always been good for a quote. He's been an entertaining personality uh, to watch him work. Uh, he's 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 great. Like I think JT Miller's a great player. It's just that I don't buy the, you know, you can't afford to lose that swagger in the room. Like, I, yeah, I'm I not. Mean, I'm not. A, I'm not about the room. That part of it at all because we've seen the we've seen the good swagger. We've seen the, yeah, but we've seen the good and bad of JT Miller. And I've been one to point that out, right? Right. So I'm less about that than I am about flat out consistent production. Even when he's playing like trash defensively, there's always a bottom line production there. And, and that's for me, like I like Brock Besser as a player, but when I compare those two in that vacuum, there's no comparison other than the age. Yeah. There's no comparison. No, I, I don't disagree with you. When, when Brock Besser is not scoring, Brock Besser is lost. See, I disagree with that. I think Brock Besser is a far better two-way piece than you're stating, and I yeah, also he, think he and himself I also think, is so down on in, on his game when that's not happening. He lets not scoring affect the other part of his game. Uh, f- fair enough. I, I think that's true. But in in Miller's case too, like so much of the power play runs through him, and you know, I don't know that all of those um, I don't know that all of those points are necessarily. Um, like the hard points, you know, I, I don't know that the two way profile is as significantly better than Bessers um, to the point where it would, you know, sway my decision one way or another, like trade the guy whose values high and who's a UFA at the age of 30 a year from now over the 24 year old, especially with where this team is at. To me, that's a really simple uh, equation, a really simple decision. I don't I don't understand it. Um, being any other way, to be totally honest with you. And, and that's, you know, with full respect for what Miller's accomplished. And and maybe there's a way to free up the cap space you need to improve without trading either. 
Um, that's certainly an avenue that I think is worth worth pursuing, especially because, look, I think if you sign Miller to a six-year deal, for example, I think you probably get pretty good value out of three or four years of it, especially because his skill set's based so much on having a hockey brain, like a high-end hockey brain, right? I don't think that's going to abandon him. So, you know, I, I do think that there's a way in which neither gets dealt, but I just I fundamentally with the, what this club needs to do, which first and foremost is carve out avenues to improve, uh, bolster their prospect system, find cap flexibility. Um, you know, I, I don't really see how you accomplish that without, you know, detonating at least a portion of, of the good players on this roster. Time for one more quick break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll look at some other names as well. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Drancer, I looked at your column before the Sharks game on Thursday and you talked about some other players that they need to look at, but it's going to be so difficult. The ultimate win when you look ahead to what a trade deadline could look like and you talk about Hamannick, Pullman, and Dickinson – any chance at all, any interest whatsoever in any of those three guys, given their contract situations? You know, I mean, in terms of term, right, the shortest is Hamannick. And if they can find a way to get him to tread water over the course of the next month, do you think there's any takers there? Well, he's got some limited no trade protection, right? And yep. limited, though, it's he's not he's not immovable. And he's played 11 games this season. And he's got three million plus uh, three million next year, right? And he's got a one point two five million dollars signing bonus. So, uh, not without taking money back. I don't think you can move Hamannick in a move that saves you cap space next season. Uh, flat out, no. Same with Dickinson. Um, Pullman, I think, could be moved because he's played pretty well. Frankly, um, I think he's. You know, again, a guy you'd have to take money back on, but I, I think Pullman's by far the most movable of the three, and and even there, I don't think 
he's really movable. Like he's not movable for draft picks straight up or a young player straight up, right? I mean, no chance. But but could you do one of those mid-range, money in, money out, middle class guy for middle class guy type deals? Maybe. Maybe. I think there might be a team that likes Pullman's game enough to, to chance something like that. Let's look ahead to what's coming up. You got the Anaheim Ducks uh, tomorrow, Saturday night to, at home, full capacity. What does that mean to this group? I mean, you know, everybody likes to say, yeah, we like the crowds and, you know, we play for the fans and, and so on and so forth. But do you think it's going to have any kind of tangible effect? Yeah, I do. And I mean, it means a lot to me. <laughs> it also means <laughs> it also means a lot to me because it's the uh, Botcher Project on Saturday. So yeah, for full, sure. F- you know, a full house, hopefully, plus a uh, Botchford project night that's going to be special and and look I mean the Canucks have played 23 games at home and they've won 10 in regulation right 13 total um, 22 games yeah they've won 13 total or sorry sorry they've won 10 total of of um, oh my goodness 22 games at home so it's not exactly like Rogers Arena has been a fortress for them this season but I think full crowds can help because it felt like it was trending in that direction in December, right before Omicron, when when the Bruce Boudreaux bump was in full effect, uh, you know, it did feel like this team was going um, was was approaching a a moment where home was a place where they just racked up points again. And the vibes around Rogers Arena are so much better right now than they were when the city was like mad at the team <laughs> in November. You know, I felt like yeah. this whole season at least to open the season, right? Through the through the first couple months of the year, it felt like the city was moments away from booing this team off the ice at every moment, right? And now... And out came the jersey. Yeah, and then out came the jersey. And, and in fact, it, you know, stimulated significant organizational change. And now you go to Canucks games and it's like a good night out. And I think that matters. Like, I think the team hasn't really had a ton of opportunity to play in front of those positive supportive vibes and, uh, you know, establish the sort of home ice advantage that they enjoyed in 2019, 20, right. Um, now they have a whole huge run of games at home. And I do think that'll be good for them. Like, I do think that'll give them a boost, not such a boost that I'm expecting them to make the playoffs, but you know, a boost that, that I think will be material. Uh, and that I think will mean more more to the team than than you might expect to be honest with you and then after that on monday it is the first regular season visit from the seattle kraken now the seattle fans can't easily come up to vancouver to watch the game but um it'll be different i mean you know we were down there in seattle yes it was the opening night of the new building but i don't think it's going to take long necessarily for these two teams to have something going well i think it'll require them to not be you know terrible yeah not be at the bottom of the Pacific. I think they're once they're both good at some point, uh, I think the rivalry will come very naturally. But until then, I think it's going to be a little bit muted. Um, you know, more than anything, though, it's like the Canucks need to win that game, right? I mean, you've yeah, got they do. you've got Anaheim on Saturday. They've just gotten trounced through Alberta. Uh, they're fading and, and turning back into the pumpkin we expected prior to the season. Um, and then you've got the and then you've got the, you know, cracking on Monday, the cracking on Monday, and they're bad. And then they you've are, got, but now, and then, then you've, you've got, got Calgary, Cal- who is crushing teams. Like Calgary is killing people. Calgary is a legit cup contender, a legitimate cup contender. Jacob Markstrom might win the Vesna. Yeah, no, you, you can't argue. I mean, they've got all those pieces. They're really yeah, good. They're, they're really good. Um, and and then at the end of the month, back to back games in New York and New Jersey. 
on the road with teams at the epicenter of any of these trade talks. Totally. And then and then the Islanders too, right? And that's going to be I mean, that's fun for me too. I'm going back on the road, Farhan. Oh, nice. Yeah, looking forward to it. I get to go to New York and Toronto. And then of course they finish off the, against the Leafs at home. Um, you know, who who I'm sure will take 50 shots and still fail to solve Thatcher Demko on that on that particular night on Hockey Night in Canada, which will be good fun. I'll I'll look forward to that. So <laughs> So, you know, it's going to be a pretty interesting next, what, uh, I guess we just listed eight games. So the next eight games, four at home, four on the road. And and you think, like, I think the Canucks should be able to finish off or have a pretty successful homestand here, right? I mean, you have that win in San Jose at your back. You beat Toronto um, last weekend. And then you've got, you know, you're relatively rested, but you've played and, and you've got, you know, a couple of games that are pretty winnable here you could go into that game against calgary on a four-game win streak like you know relatively easily and in fact with where this team's at in the standings that's how it has to be if we're going to continue to indulge any type of playoff race talk fair absolutely right i mean even like you can't let these ones slip away even tonight even tonight it's like if if i really believed in the canucks's playoff chances i'd be like you know unfortunately that loss right you know really costs them like it's really it's quietly quite a costly um not the not that they lost but the lost point right because they they lost a point to a team that they're um only just leapfrogging but you know Dallas has 18 regulation wins the Winnipeg Jets have 19 regulation wins the Los Angeles Kings have 20 regulation wins like the Canucks need to make up ground by the tiebreaker and missed a pretty crucial opportunity to do so tonight, right? Like they, they were 0.6 seconds away from not uh, being in a spot where they uh, were trailing the Dallas stars by that crucial category. Like if it's going to tighten up and if this team's going to get in the race, like, you know, you could miss the playoffs by that 0.6 seconds, but I don't think the Canucks chance are even realistic enough for, for us to really get too deep down that rabbit hole. Um, No, but you know, that's the sort of thing that matters. Uh, That said, you beat the Anaheim ducks on, um, on Saturday. And you know, you're, you're one point back, like you're one point back with a game in hand. You, You effectively, you effectively will pass them by point percentage. So I, I mean, it's not a, it's not like a mammoth game. Anaheim's not really the team you're chasing anymore, but Certainly, there's a chance for this team to to rack up some much needed wins and and you know maybe 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 have a two and one homestand and and keep the good vibes going and at least put some pressure on management to consider what this group can do. Um, you know, everyone knows much how I feel the, about much it. To, much to the chagrin of Thomas Strance. Meanwhile, well, two more games <laughs> between <laughs> now say, and I, look, I'm not rooting against this team far ahead. No, I, I know you are, but I you, just you, think, you want I just it done a certain way. I, you just you don't want a fictitious run here. Well, I, to, I just th- I just think I've seen enough. This team. I feel like I don't need to see more to know what this team is. No, yeah, it's fair, completely fair. Uh, you know, and as as much as we saw that eight or nine game bump, it really has leveled off. And um, 
yeah, the, there are certain things this team has to do, and what happens in the next month shouldn't change that on any level. Uh, meanwhile, as far as we're concerned, uh, we do want to remind all of you, the Ian Mendez and Julian McKenzie, recap a busy weekend of NHL action with the Athletic Hockey Show on Monday, wherever you download your podcasts. And as for us, thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And right now, you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash the vancast our show returns it next tuesday following monday night's game against the kraken so we'll have a couple of games before we come back to you and uh, we hope that you will all tune in log on do whatever you need to do to subscribe listen rate, review subscribe rate review and uh even wallace might make an appearance yeah, next and, week and drink your athletic greens yeah it's delightful no it tastes good it's really it's helped good. it's helped me a lot <laughs> you need it. We'll talk next week. Be well, man. <laughs>